Today on Cross Defense, we're considering the root of the gun violence in our culture, how good Samaritans can use guns in service to their neighbor and keep the fifth commandment, plus how JL chose a tent peg for her everyday carry. Let's get into it. another week, which means it's another cross defense coming at you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out with me today. However you're receiving my voice, thanks for uh, clicking that and tuning in. If you're listening on your favorite podcast app, I ask you to please leave a review, share the good news with other people, let them know this is a show that is worth their while. If you're listening on demand at KFUO.org, God bless you, my friends, and make sure you stick around and listen to some more great content coming to you from our airwaves KFUO.org, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today we're taking a look at senseless killings, the gun violence we see all around us. We're going to be looking at the, the wicked men who lie in wait to spill our blood, who want to ambush the innocent without reason, which means we're going to take a look at we're going to take a look at Proverbs, if I can find my tongue. We're going to also look at the Good Samaritans who use appropriate tools in response to them, one of them being guns. That's the one we're going to focus in on today and how guns can be used in service to your neighbor and to keep the fifth commandment. So uh, as we have this conversation today, if anything piques your interest, if you want to send me an email, you can do so by going over to stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, and uh, you can drop me an email there. Just go to the contact form and we'll... uh, We'll start the conversation there. Let me know what you think. All right, so mass shootings. You've no doubt been thinking about the senselessness of these killings that we've been experiencing. The, the conversation, as it's presented in the media, tends to lean toward one of gun control. That's where the politicians take it. That's where a lot of the conversation goes because the gun is the tool being used to inflict this horror upon our society. But I'd propose to you that it has nothing to do with the instruments used in the killings. Nothing to do with the guns themselves, but that we're experiencing a consequence of godlessness. That is my proposal for you today. And so to do that, let's to explore that, to get into that concept. Let's explore a headline. Let's get into the Greenwood Park Mall shooting that happened not too long ago and um, take a look at this. So this is coming from the Indianapolis Star. It's an article written by Sarah Nelson on July 18th, updated on July 25th here in the year of our Lord 2022. The title is Senseless Killings, Police Release New Details in Greenwood Park Mall Shooting. I'm not going to read the whole article, just the part we want to focus in on. And here's what it says. A 20-year-old man walked to Greenwood Mall Park on Sunday and headed straight to the bathroom. Inside the backpack he carried were two rifles, also in his possession more than 100 rounds of ammunition and a pistol. One hour and two minutes later, he walked out of the restroom and opened fire into the food court, carrying out a mass shooting minutes before the mall's closing that police said rocked them to their core. Greenwood's 
Police Chief Jim Eisen on Monday released new details about the moments leading up to the shooting that claimed the lives of a husband and wife and a 30-year-old man. The violence also left a 22-year-old woman with a gunshot wound to the leg and injured a 12-year-old girl who was hit with a ricocheting bullet fragment. That is a horrible story. Now, you probably already know it does have somewhat of a good ending. It could have been a lot worse as uh, a good Samaritan, we'll get to another headline in a minute, but a good Samaritan stopped the shooting before it could get any worse than what you just heard. Now, there have been a lot of senseless killings recently. And when we know our Bibles, we can understand that the wickedness that we're experiencing today with these senseless killings, that this wickedness isn't new. Don't get into the, into the misconception of thinking this is a new phenomenon. The Bible makes clear that wickedness has been with us for a very long time. Think Cain and Abel long. We also understand that the killing won't be stopped by legislation. No matter what policies we pass, no matter what laws we put on the books, there are always going to be wicked men. You cannot legislate a man's heart. That's important to know, and we Christians do know that. God's law convicts us. God's law is there to uh, guide and curb and, and stop these things. But man's law, it can't do it. And, and God's law, right? Um, we see that God's law shows us our sin, shows us how bad we are as sinners. It's the gospel. It's the new heart within our chest, the fleshy heart, the not hard heart, the redemption we have from our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit he has sent to us. These are the things that change a man's heart, not legislation. So that's not the answer. The answer is literally a return to a culture saturated with none other than Jesus. Yes, yes, we need more Jesus. Proverbs 11, no, excuse me, 1, 11 and 12 speak to this, and also 15, as we get to the wicked man. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, Sounds familiar, right? This is exactly what we're experiencing in our day. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird." But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. In A.D. 2022, a gunman went into a bathroom in a mall where he waited to ambush innocent shoppers without reason. I mean, we don't know his motivation. I don't really care about the particulars of his motivation. The, the reason was because he was evil. He's a wicked man. But Solomon knew of the same sort of wicked men in 970 B.C. Now, if we haven't been able to legislate the wickedness of men's heart to stop wickedness from happening from the time of Solomon to now, 
do you think we ever can? Will man wise up one day and be able to pass a law that is perfect and able to pro- prohibit all sorts of evil and bloodshed? The answer is no. Christ is our answer to that. We need more Jesus in our culture. If you want to see an end to these senseless killings, what we need is more of Christ. Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. We do need the law of God that shows us our sin, that says these things are evil and wicked and we should avoid them. And we need more gospel that shows us how we're saved from our sins and creates a culture of love and mercy, of service and peace. Now, Solomon further explains how all these wicked men, the same sort we're living with today, are really lying in wait for their own blood, ambushing themselves. Proverbs 24, 15 to 22 is where he says this, Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again. So the righteous man, there's, there's always repentance, right? We're going to sin, we're going we're gonna to fall, but we can always get back up. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. Verse 19, fret not yourself because of evildoers. I'm going to pause right there and bring a little comfort to the soul. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. My friends, we are living in a very horrible time, horrendous time. There are wicked things happening all around us. I would tell you that this is always the case. Man has always been evil. But fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't be, a, don't be afraid. Don't be worried about living in this world. You have Christ. You have the Lord Jesus Christ on your side. Could you be gunned down in a mall? Yes, you could. Should that keep you from going to that mall? No, it shouldn't. Because what is the worst thing that can happen to you? You will go to be with the Lord? Say you get hit by a bullet. What's the worst thing that can happen to the Christian? You're sent home. Death has become a portal for us, a portal to the Lord. It is the fulfillment of our baptism. Death for us now becomes that time when we finally experience experience life without sin. We're finally face to face with our Lord. So for us Christians, there is nothing to fear. So fret not yourself because of evildoers. And back to the text. And be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Mm. The evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king. and Do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Fear not, the evildoer, fear the Lord. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul, not just the one who can kill the body. Okay, so Psalm 10, the whole thing, verse 1 through 18, also helps us out as we consider mass shootings and senseless killings and wicked men's hearts. 
It says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? When, when these events happen in our lives, we feel like the Lord is far away from us. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It seems like the Lord isn't there to help. Why are you hiding, Lord? Verse 2, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. The wicked man is full of arrogance and pride. Someone who's going to set out on a mass shooting has renounced the Lord in pride of his face. The pride of his face, the wicked does not seek the Lord. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Psalm 10 verse 4, all his thoughts are, there is no God. To be able to come out of a bathroom and open fire on a mall, one must have such a hard heart that he believes there is no God. What's going to happen? And indeed, as we look at the accounts of many of these mass shooters, we see an atheism there. We see a rejection of God when you read or listen to um, the news reports of their manifestos and the evidence they leave behind, their legacy tokens. When you take this stuff in, there is this rejection of God, this vitriol toward God. They are angry at the Lord. Which means, ultimately, they do believe in God. They're just really mad at Him. And that is because they've, they've been sold a bill of goods, if you want to think of it this way. They have been pushed by this culture of ours, this godless culture, to think there is no help for them. They have become wicked in their thinking, depraved in their thoughts, thinking they have no help. Notice the psalm starts out thinking the Lord is far away, and the psalms are great about this. They always tend to start out with this, where are you? And they end with, oh, Lord, praise be to God, you are here. So the same thing, though, is there with the wicked man, he, he, except for he never comes around because his heart has become jaded by this world he lives in. He's become so hate-filled that he renounces the Lord. He says in the pride of his face, there is no God. Verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Thinking he's 10 foot tall and bulletproof. So dad would say it. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue are mischief and iniquity he sits in ambush in the villages in hiding places he murders the innocent like in bathrooms for an hour and two minutes his eyes stealthily watch for the helpless he lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket he lurks that he may seize the poor he seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. Verse 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. 
he will never see it. Arise, O Lord, says the psalmist. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? The wicked thinks he will not be accountable for his actions. Why? Why? There is a godlessness in our culture. Why do we do the things we do? Why do you see the things on your television, on your streaming service, on your your phone? Why do you see these things happening among your neighbors in this world we live in? The godless, immoral, unethical activities, not just the the mass shootings. These are horrible uh, spillings over, (laughs) that's a way you can say that, of these atrocities. But they're happening with all people throughout our society in many ways that are just as egregious to our Lord, but do not seem so offensive to us because they're not so blatant in our face. But how many people do you know around you who take the Lord's name in vain, who, who use his name as if it was an expletive? How many people do you know who are rejecting the third commandment, not coming to church, not going to hear God's word, who, who have forgotten that he exists and do not think he will hold them accountable for their actions? Verse 14. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. And here's that turn from where the wicked man stays lost, thinking God's not there. The psalmist turns that corner. Ah, there you are. You are truly there. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Verse 15. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Hmm. That's Psalm 10, 1 through 18. We will take up the conversation after this break. You're listening to Cross Defense. Don't go away. The life of the Christian church is a life in exile. We are grieved by various trials. False teachers and their deceptive teachings wage war against the truth. How can we believe and live as faithful and joyful Christians while we sojourn here? This is Pastor Timothy Apple, host of Sharper Iron. We're starting a new series, The Imperishable Inheritance. We will be going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Join us every weekday morning at 8 on KFUO to rejoice in the imperishable inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, welcome back to Cross Defense. We just got done reading Psalm 10, 1 through 18, the entire psalm. And now I want to ask you the question, what is the problem? As we're seeing all these senseless killings, and not all of them are happening with, with guns, right? People are driving their vehicles into other people. We have uh, people randomly pushing people off of the uh, subway turnstiles or uh, little you know, seating areas into the, tr- into the tracks. I, I live in the country. I don't know how those things work. Uh, <laughs> stabbings, all kinds of stuff. What is the problem? Is it the weapons? Is the problem with the the shooter in the Greenwood Park Mall that he had two rifles, a pistol, and 100 rounds of ammunition in his backpack? 
No. The problem is his heart. It's a renunciation of God. That's why we're seeing all these senseless killings, because we are no longer passing on the wisdom of the Lord. That's what Proverbs is all about. Right? Solomon is handing down wisdom to his, his son, because we're, we're no longer doing that. We're seeing this increase in the violence and the murderous actions, the ambushes and the, the lying in wait to spill blood. We're no longer handing down the wisdom that fears the Lord. We now think there is no God. Like Psalm 10 says, we, we're living in a land that encourages its people to renounce Christ, and so all of us are being encouraged to think there is no God, that I will not be held accountable for my actions. And what do we get when we sing this song loud from the rooftops, and when we sing it over and over for generations upon generations, what are we going to get? We're going to get wickedness, evil. We're going to get monsters doing monstrous things in our society. If we would remember that God sees us, that he exists, there would be an abrupt cessation of these senseless killings. Mark my words. I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and predict that if we could bring God back to the center of our society, we would see the termination of this senseless evil. And for two reasons. I say this for two reasons. One is that more people would be raised to believe in God, and then they would live according to his revealed will. Because when you believe in God, it's not just that you just, oh yeah, he's there. Hey, how are you, God? Nice to see you. How's the weather up there today? No, it's you actually want to live according to his word. He has revealed himself to us, and we therefore want to live as our Father in heaven would have us live. See, God is not just uh, an idea or this generic divinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has a personhood to him. He, he is three persons in one God. He is knowable and intimate with us. He, he knows who we are, and we know who he is, at least what he's revealed about himself to us, what we need to know. And so we want to live according to our Father's will, according to the household rules, so to speak. We want to do what our brother did, Jesus Christ. We want to live as, as he showed us how to live. We want to keep the commandments, both, both the law and the gospel, the entolai, the commandments. We want to keep the divine word. We want to live according to them. Not because we have to, not because they're burdensome, because that's who we are as Christians. And so more people raised to be Christian would mean that we'd have less wicked men carrying out evil deeds because there'd be less of them, less people not raised according to the Christian worldview. And two, because more people would be living under the realization that God really exists, we would have, therefore, more people willing to put their neighbor's interests, their neighbor's well-being, before their own, because that's what Christians do. We serve neighbor before self. We would have more good guys 
willing to step up at a moment's notice to keep the fifth commandment, to lay down their own life. Just as Christ laid down his life for the love of the world, we would have more Christian men and women, Christian people, who would be willing to lay down their lives in love for their neighbor, because that's who they would be. And so not only would we have, we'd have a, a population with less wicked men to begin with, we'd have a population with more people willing to counter those wicked men that did exist with the love of Christ lived out toward neighbor. Okay, so let's get into more of that, that keeping of the fifth commandment part of this conversation with, uh, for the remainder of the show. And we're going to do that with this next headline. This comes from Newsweek by Matthew Impelli. It's also published on July 18th. The title of this headline is Greenwood Cops Describe Good Samaritans' Tactical Takedown of Mall Shooter. So the first headline, we looked at how the event played out, how the shooter went into the bathroom and blah, 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 his arms and all this kind of stuff. Now we're going to look at the reaction, what happened afterwards. Police in Greenwood, Indiana, described the moment a Good Samaritan tactically took down an individual suspected of shooting several people on Sunday. Quote, his actions were nothing short of heroic. He engaged the gunman from quite a distance with a handgun, was very proficient in that, very tactically sound, Greenwood Police Chief James Eisen said during a news conference on Monday afternoon. As he moved to close in on the suspect, so he's shooting and moving, he was also motioning for people to exit behind him. He has, to our knowledge, he has no police training and no military background. The remarks made by Eisen came shortly after he revealed on Sunday that a good Samaritan fatally shot the suspected gunman. The shooting incident at the Greenwood Mall left at least four dead, including the suspected gunman and several others injured. On Sunday, Eisen spoke to reporters and said, the real hero of the day is the citizen who was lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop this shooter almost as soon as he began. Okay, so Greenwood cops describe Good Samaritan's tactical takedown. Oh, I love the title of that. So the Good Samaritan language, this, this usage of this phrase, Good Samaritan, just as a side note, demonstrates Christ's influence on American society. You, you notice that? Clearly, this is a biblical reference. It's from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. But I don't want to assume that you all out there know the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, I would hope you, you would, but let's not assume anyone just knows it. Let's read it, because reading Scripture is awesome. Okay, Luke 10, 25 to 37 says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, to put Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now this parable has so much to teach us, but for today's conversation, we're going to focus on the language of the Samaritan and the good deed. We're not looking at all the full context, although that's, that's well worth its time. We can get into that in another show. Something to note here is that the news articles about Mr. Dickon, the Good Samaritan, or anybody who goes out of his way to help strangers, anytime this happens, anytime somebody goes out of his way, goes above and beyond to help strangers in our society, we, we use this title, Good Samaritan, as a special category for this kind of person, for this kind of deed. Now, what's the point of Jesus' story? What's his question at the very end? See, it's not which of these three proved to be an especially heroic person, worthy of the title of Good Samaritan, right? He's not saying who deserves this special honor. No. What's the question? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Just a neighbor. Which of these people? was just good old neighbor, regular neighbor, your neighbor guy. See, if Christianity was still the primary influence on our culture, if we were still a God-fearing people in this land, we'd be a more neighborly people. Right? The, the question here in context, as we look at this parable, the lawyer is, is talking to Jesus, and he wants to know what, to inherit, what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus asks him, how do you read the law? And he gives him that summary that encapsulates all the Ten Commandments, both the first and second tablet. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Commandments one, two, and three. And your neighbor as yourself. That's the rest of the commandments. Love your neighbor. Not, and be a hero to your neighbor and do amazing things when it's called upon you. That, that's just, what I'm saying is, it's just expected. It's the neighborly thing to do, to show mercy and love for others, whether you know them or not. It doesn't put you in a special category of neighbor. It just makes you a neighbor. There would be more Elijah Dickenses in our world and less senseless killings if we were more neighborly. And we would be more neighborly if we were more Christian. 
Just saying. But wait, but wait, Pastor. The biblical Good Samaritan story is about healing, right? He takes him to the inn, the equivalent of a hospital, and he, he binds up his wounds, and he administers medicine and healing and oil and all this kind of stuff. He's taking care of somebody who was already hurt. The robbers left him for dead. He didn't inflict injury. He administered medicine. I'm glad you're, you're thinking about this, my friends. I'm glad. Hey, good. It's good to pause and think about this. Go a little deeper. So how can we call... Elijah Dickin, the Good Samaritan of the Greenwood Park Mall, how can we call him a Good Samaritan? I'm sure you already know the answer. But let's equip our minds. Let's, let's equip our minds in the Bible to better articulate the truth. Let's do that, huh? Okay, so which commandment are we dealing with in the parable of the Good Samaritan? What commandment is at play? If you said the fifth commandment, kudos to you, my friends. That's the right answer. And what is the fifth commandment? You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor or his body, but help and support him in every physical need, right? Good old catechism class. You remember that from when you were in catechism class? If you haven't been in catechism class, Hey, talk to a local pastor, go to lcms.org, go to the church locator. If you don't know where an LCMS church is, find one and get to the, your nearest one and get in a catechism class and get some instruction in the fundamentals of the faith. If you're in my area, hey, stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, drop me a line. Let's get you into a catechism class. We can go one-on-one. It'd be great. I'll even give you a catechism. It'd be, it'll be awesome. Okay, so you know now what the fifth commandment is. You remember what it is. It is that we are to not murder, but that doesn't just mean you just not to murder somebody. It also means that because we fear and love God, we don't want to hurt or harm our neighbor and his body, but actually help and support him in every physical need. That's what the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 is doing right? Right. That's what Dickon did when he heard the gunfire and drew down on the wicked man from 40 yards away is what I heard and then moved toward him. He drew down on this shooter who ambushed the mall, innocent people without reason. The reports even tell us that Elijah Dickon, Eli, <laughs> Have you seen the spelling of his name? It's crazy. I don't, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, so let's just call him Eli. The reports tell us that he was motioning for people to get to safety, to exit behind him. This is a man with a heart to serve and to help. This wasn't a murderous, vengeful action, but one of defense of neighbor, love of neighbor, really. If you want to talk about the definition of love, which our society desperately needs to have a conversation on, Eli Dickin was loving all the people in that mall. Another look at Proverbs helps flesh this out. Take a look with me. Flip your Bibles to Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. We see this wisdom carried out in the extreme with this Greenwood Park Mall uh, Good Samaritan. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. 
Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Serve your neighbor, defend other people. Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. For those who are destitute, to the poor, judge righteously for those who, whose rights are being trampled on. I mean, this is why the church is pro-life. This is why we stand and defend babies in the womb who are being murdered. This is why we, we stand against uh, euthanasia, why we're, we're against killing the elderly and all, all those who, who can't necessarily speak up for themselves, who become destitute and poor. It's also why Eli Dickin did a good thing by shutting down, neutralizing the gunmen in the mall. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Dickin was preserving life. Thank God he had the right tool for the job. Okay, we are at another stopping point, another break. We're going to take a break, and we will. when we come back, we're going to get into uh, some more of this, and we're going to look at, uh, what are we going to talk about? Ah, we're going to get to JL and her tent peg. So, all right, don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Cross Defense. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Welcome back to Cross Defense, my friends. We're going to move toward JL, as I said, before the break. But before we do that, let's continue where we were. Psalm 10, the psalmist says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Now, we Lutherans, you know this, we, we have a good understanding of how the Lord, more often than not, answers this prayer of the psalmist. Our prayer, Lord, help us. How he rises and lifts up his hand. How does he do it? You know this, my friends. You know this through means. Ours is a God who loves to work through means. The doctrine of vocation. He calls people into roles of service, vocations, callings to serve their neighbor. And he sets up this entire beautiful economy of how we all serve each other. And who is it that's doing that service? We are the instruments, but it is God. It's his will. It's his activity in our lives. Now, I had the pleasure of contributing a, uh, a chapter all about this in the book, Duty to Defend, published by the, uh, the host of the Armed Lutheran Radio podcast. I highly recommend. I wrote on Psalm 121.2 for my part. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but here's the section that matters for, for today's discussion. This is what I said. When in Jericho, Joshua's two spies were in need of help. The Lord aided them through Rahab, who used her roof and stalks of flax to hide the men, Joshua 2.6. Likewise, the help of the Lord came through young David, who used his sling and five stones to fight off the Philistines in a contest of champions. 
of his fight, David said, the battle is not his, but the Lord's. 1 Samuel 17, 47. These are a couple of the plentiful examples we could extract from the Bible that illustrate how the help of the Lord comes through means as he works through what he has created, through people and their various tools, which includes the arms that we bear today. Okay, so uh, take a look at that if you want to, to know more about how we how the doctrine of vocation, how we serve our, our neighbors through that doctrine, how the Lord is the one in action through our activity. So some people are hesitant to celebrate Mr. Dickens' actions because he was a civilian. This guy wasn't, as the police chief said, he wasn't a trained uh, police officer or didn't have any military background. He was just a guy like you and me, just a regular Joe. And uh, that means he had no real formal training. Now, maybe he had some formal training. I think um, I heard that he, he said that his grandfather taught him how to shoot. But, but I don't know, maybe he went to some training classes or something. Who knows? But people can be uncomfortable. I've heard this. I've seen the scuttlebutt online that people are uncomfortable with the idea of regular citizens walking around with guns. They're more comfortable with the concept of only trained law enforcement officers responding to shooters. They think it's safer, more appropriate. Now, I'd suggest that this unease that, that some feel, if you're feeling this unease, I'd suggest that it, it's bred more from, well, one, living in a culture of expertise. We live in a day and age where everyone's a specialist on something. Um, you, you, just, you have an expert on everything. I mean, you go to your doctor, and he's an expert on one little thing. We live in an age of expertise, and so we expect this kind of a thing to be handled by the quote-unquote experts. Um, and two, this is also because of the demonization of firearms among our population. It didn't used to always be this way. And that's coupled with an increasing dependency on the state to take care of all, all of our problems. We can talk more about that kind of stuff too. If you'd like to do uh, a cross-defense episode on that, you can drop me a line at stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, uh, to let me know if you want to go deeper onto those kind of topics. But more importantly, I'd suggest to whoever is uncomfortable celebrating a civilian using lethal force on a bad guy to read the story of JL. So let's go do that right now. Let's go to the book of Judges and look at JL's killing of Sisera. We're going to go to Judges 4, 12 to 22, and then we're going to jump also to Judges 5, 24 to 27, where we get the song of Deborah about JL. So starting at Judges 4, verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Hashereth Hagoim to the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot, and Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Heresheth Hagoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. 
But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jaal, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him, and said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went out softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. And then Judges 5, 24 to 27, this is Deborah's song. She says, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curd in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg, and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. So, my question to you, my friends, as we consider this account in today's conversation with the wickedness of men and the Good Samaritans and the uneasiness that we can have with civilians using lethal force, was Jael a trained fighter? No. She wasn't even an enemy of Sisera. For the purpose of today's conversation, we could call her a bystander. She didn't have to act, but she chose to in service to God. She wasn't even an Israelite. She was a Kenite, whose family actually had peaceful relations with the king of the Canaanites, Jabin. And yet she acted against the evil. Jael is an example of what we read in Acts 5.29, what that can look like. That's where Peter and the apostles declare that we must obey God rather than men. Long before Christ's apostles stated that succinctly, very plainly before the council, Jael lived it out. She ignored the code of hospitality well known among the tent-dwelling peoples that in this culture of hers, it was well-known, this code, that when someone comes into your tent, when you share a drink with them, that's why he's asking for a drink, that now he is under your protection. He's, he's, a, he's a welcome guest. You could be, be enemies with each other. If you share this drink in the tent, there's hospitality. She should have protected him according to this code. Not to mention, she's operating on behalf of her husband. He wasn't home, and so she is supposed to obey what her husband would want her to do and fulfill her wifely duty in that regard in this culture, and she disobeyed that as well. 
She, she set aside her duty to men and obeyed God. So what are we getting at here? Well, you know the answer to this too. The laws of man do not supersede God. What God says trumps everything else. Killing Sisera was an act of obedience to God and service to her neighbors, and so she's called blessed by Deborah in her song. Was it violent? <laughs> yeah. Is it horrible to imagine? Absolutely. What a graphic episode we have there in Scripture. I would hate to have to do something like Jael did. I would hate for my wife to have to do that. I would hate to be Eli Dickin right now, too. The weight of taking another person's life, that's heavy. That's extreme. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But a wicked man lied in wait in a bathroom for an hour and two minutes, and then he ambushed innocent people at a shopping mall without reason. And Mr. Dickin served his neighbor before himself by killing the gunman. He did what none of us would ever want to have to do, not to protect himself necessarily, but to protect his neighbors. He was motioning for strangers to get behind him and exit to safety. He was putting himself at risk. And in doing so, he kept the fifth commandment. That's amazing. Maybe you've heard the complaint. I've, I've heard about this as well, that he, he actually shouldn't be praised because he broke the, the mall's no firearms policy. Now, what do we think about this as Christians? Well, back to jail. Who would you rather Mr. Dickin obey? God or the managers of the Greenwood Park Mall? But we should point out, too, that this is not even really law. This is policy. It's, it has no weight to it in the eyes of men, really, even. And so who would you rather have Mr. Dickin obey? He was a law-abiding citizen carrying his weapon totally legally, which we all should be able to do. And because he had that on him, he knew the responsibility that that, that bears, and he used that accordingly. So what? He, he broke a policy of a mall. Yes, yes, this dumps us into all the gun control legislation stuff we're now hearing about in the wake of the Uvalde shooting as well. Right? This is the same topic. It might be a topic for another episode. I don't know, but the answer to the question is God. We obey God rather than men when it comes to this sort of thing. Praise be to God that he put Eli Dickin in that mall and reduced the slaughter of innocence from what it could have been to sadly what it was. Okay, all of this reminds me, in closing, we have a few minutes left here, all of this reminds me of what Luther had to say, Luther had lots to say, but what he had to say regarding temporal authority and to what extent it should be obeyed. Now, hear this rightly. Luther is not Scripture. Don't mishear that. Scripture makes it clear what God would have us do. Help our neighbor in his body, even if that means pulling the trigger on 
an attacker. But Luther does give us insight, as all theologians do who are rightly speaking and who have a conscience bound by God's word. And he says this. This is great. For God the Almighty (laughs) has made our rulers mad. They actually think they can do and order their subjects to do whatever they please. Yes, Luther is writing about this in 1523, not in 2022 America. And the subjects make the mistake of believing that they, in turn, are bound to obey their rulers in everything. Hmm. It has gone so far that the rulers have begun ordering the people to get rid of certain books and to believe and conform to what the rulers prescribe. They are thereby presumptuously setting themselves in God's place, lording lording it over men's consciences and faith, and schooling the Holy Spirit according to their own crack-brained ideas. <laughs> you always got to you wait for Luther to drop the, you know, the crass Lutherian vocabulary. Nevertheless, they let it be known that they are not to be contradicted and are to be called gracious lords all the same. You can find this in Luther's works, volume 45, page 83 in the American edition. So, uh, we have a lot we could say about the conversation of obeying authorities and laws of man versus God's law and how we know when and where and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's a topic for another show. If you would like to hear more about that, let me know. Uh, Because with this little quote, we have to start signing off. It's the end of the hour. Thank you so much for being with me. I really appreciate that you take the time to listen to Cross Defense, to hang out with me, and that you also take the time to engage with the emails. And I would love to hear what you would like to discuss and learn more about. You can talk about that with me via email at stmarksferndale.com. Go to S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, and go to the contact page and drop me a line there. Until next week, my friends, I'd love to hear what you think about specifically Christians keeping and bearing arms so that they can be like Mr. Dickon and actually use them in service to their neighbor if they should have the need to do so. The Second Amendment says our, we have a right to keep and bear arms, and it should, not be, it should not be infringed. It shall not be infringed. Is that an inalienable right? I want to know what you think, yes or no. Opinions are always welcome, but theological examinations are to be preferred. Email me, stmarksferndale.com. Go to the contact page. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you always and forever. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.